0: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is Me Undies. I love them so much. And Colette, my wife is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some Me Undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of Me Undies lounge pants and Colette Deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody, And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T. That's MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T for 20% off plus free shipping.
1: Dot com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help, H-E-L-P, dot com slash sacred text. Chapter 19, The Silver Dough. It was snowing by the time Hermione took over the watch at midnight. Harry's dreams were confused and disturbing. Nagini wove in and out of them. First through a gigantic cracked ring, then through a wreath. I'm Vanessa Soltan.
2: And I'm Casper Terkyle,
1: And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text.
2: Thanks to our patrons, Zoe Wells, Maggie Schnell, Sheila Fox, RJ Uriate, and Erua. It's so, so wonderful to have you with us. We are very, very grateful. And a big shout out to our local group in Indianapolis, Indiana, run by Rowan Squire Wiley. And if you're interested in joining so many of the local groups are now meeting online, so I know some people are joining local groups that are not even local to them, which is amazing. You can go to HarryPotterSacredText.com, click on local groups and join our community.
1: We had really good pizza in Indianapolis. Do you remember that pizza?
2: Yes, that was really good. Vanessa, we're talking about courage today and... The moment that stands out in my memory where I really felt both my courage and courage of people around me is in a rather unusual situation, but I want to tell you about it because I think it'll help us understand what's happening in this chapter. Maybe six or seven years ago, I went on this men's weekend retreat. And for me, it was really a big moment as a gay man to be mostly around straight guys And have this intense experience because I wanted to really be comfortable with being around straight guys in a way that didn't involve me like crushing hard on someone, which had often happened before this moment, especially in my teenage years. And at the retreat, there wasn't really a description of what was going to happen. So it was kind of based on trust. And there were the usual things, right? There were like lots of physical activities and like bonding exercises. But the highlight of the bonding exercises was an invitation to sit in a circle completely naked and talk about our perceptions of our bodies and our experiences of sexual intimacy. I have never been more... A cocktail of emotions than in that moment, because I was really excited about, you know, having an experience like this. Like I've never done that before. And also I don't know anyone who doesn't have issues with something on their body. And so to sit completely naked in a circle and like talk about it with strangers is not necessarily what I thought I was signing up for. But what I saw in that circle was such courage from other people talking about, challenges that they'd had maybe as a young person maybe today the questions that came along with aging people shared stuff around sickness and ill health people shared difficulties with other people's perceptions of their bodies and and the impact they had on their own feeling of their bodies and there was just such a heartfelt courageous kindness that emerged over that kind of 2-3 hour experience and i think it came from that kind of exposing moment i mean physically but but also emotionally And it's, I think, one of the biggest experiences of courage that I've felt myself and seen in other people.
1: Casper, you and I are such different people. You are so brave. I don't know if you remember this, but you organized a Sabbath weekend with someone who you really admired. Yes. And I came for the first 10 minutes and I was like, this isn't for me. Bye. I had totally forgotten about that. I'm the opposite of you. I'm like, this is making me uncomfortable. I'm going to just go. But I, and I love this definition of courage. I think that one of the bravest things that people do is stay open to the possibility that they can change, right? And mm. knowing where your boundaries are and maintaining them is wonderful, but being completely unwilling to learn and grow, <clears throat> JK Rowling. <laughs> That is cowardice. And so I love the example that you've set us up with here.
2: Well, before we jump into the story, because there's a lot of goodness that happens, because pew, 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 Ron is back, everybody. Let's do a 30 second recap. Okay. Vanessa, you're up first. 30 seconds on the clock. Here we go. Three, two, one, go.
1: So Ron and Hermione are hearing sounds. So they're like, we better move. And then um, Harry is keeping watch and he's like, oh, there's a Patronus. And he follows the Patronus. And it turns out the Patronus is leading him to the sort of Gryffindor, which is in a frozen thing. And he goes in and it's really cold. And he um, the, the thing is strangling him. And so Ron comes and is like, don't be strangled. And then they kill the Horcrux and they go back. And Hermione is like, oh, did you get splinched with your fingernail? Good to see you, Ron. That's it.
2: Wow. I feel like there was a lot of you in that, Hermione, and I appreciate it.
1: (laughs) Sorry, should I have done my British accent? Oh, a fingernail. That was just like in the text. Okay, on your mark, get set, go.
2: So Harry's like in a Sofjan Stevens video. He's kind of like walking through the snow, like each little footstep. He's like, uh. Oh. and then he sees this little light because it's a doe. And he's like, oh, I I feel like I need to follow the doe. And he goes, the doe, and he's in the water. And he's like, I feel like I have to go in the water because, oh, look, there's the sort of Gryffindor. And then um, uh, he goes in and he's like, joking. And then Ron comes, he's like, you're stupid. And it's like, it's me, it's me, Ron. Uh, and then Ron has all these visions of Hermione and Harry making out and he's kind of into it, but really not. And then he stabs it and it's the end. (laughs)
1: I didn't know that Ron was a character in Mario Kart.
2: (laughs) I feel like, Vanessa, we should start the conversation with Ron's return. I mean, that's at the very, very heart of what happens in this chapter. And it does take enormous courage. And we, we learned that pretty soon after he left, he wanted to return. But of course, he couldn't because Harry and Hermione were on the move. And... I want to figure out, like, what are the moments of courage in Ron's return? And where are the moments where actually it was easier? There's a lot to unpack there. Can you help us?
1: Yeah. I think the moment of real courage is that he sees that blue light and decides to follow it. So he's sitting and he suddenly can hear Hermione's voice through the deluminator. And so he clicks the deluminator to try to hear what's going on better and this blue light emerges from the deluminator that like leads him closer and closer to Harry and Hermione and I just think that kind of I need to get back to this person and I will do anything and this willingness to do something that you don't quite understand but that you have an instinct will be helpful right or will be the right thing to do I think that that seems very courageous to me.
2: Yeah, and especially because the dangers involved with it. I mean, as you said, it's an unknown magic. And for Ron, that's saying a lot because he's the one who's most at home in the magical world. But to face the potential wrath or the disappointment of the people that you love the most... That takes a whole new courage. And I mean, we see at the end of this chapter, we were kind of joking about it before, but Hermione is absolutely furious. You know, Harry embraces him pretty quickly with open arms. He has that moment of like, do I berate him or do I welcome him? And it's an easy choice for Harry. But to face the consequences of something that you've done to the people you love, where you know you've hurt them, and to just take it, to just witness That I think that also takes extreme courage, maybe even more so than kind of the abstract return.
1: His apologies also seem very courageous to me. He's like, I know that it's not an excuse, but like the Horcrux really did impact me. I don't like when he's like, it impacted me more than it impacted you. I'm like, you don't know that, (laughs) but okay. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I think we're getting more rigorous as a culture about demanding better apologies from each other. Right. Mm. I love that we're moving away from this patriarchal idea of saying like, well, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt, which is a non-apology that has just like been sent out into the ether of the world. And right now in our culture, what we're asking people to do is just say, I'm sorry, there's no excuse for what I did. And just end it. And I think in certain circumstances, of course, that is correct, right? Because certain excuses are terrible. Like when Dustin Hoffman is like, it's okay that I touched those women against their will. It was a different time. I'm like, no, that's not an excuse, right? Like other people in the 1970s knew that it was wrong to sexually harass women. But I think that the excuse here that Ron is offering, he's not saying... And it's a reason to forgive me. Mm. But he's saying what I want to do to make sure that this never happens again is I want to know about myself that I'm physically weak in some ways. Right. So that I can interrupt this cycle next time and be like, do you know what? No, I'm hungry
2: This shone through for me so clearly when the locket is ready to be attacked, right? Because Ron has a very, very different view of himself in that moment because he says to Harry, I can't, you do it, that thing's bad for me. Like he's acknowledging that it, 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 he doesn't have the power over it in maybe the way that he thought he did before. And so there's a real change in his understanding of himself. Now, the beautiful thing, of course, is that Harry then says, no, 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 like you do it, you can do it. And he gives this gift of Ron to reclaim a courage, to reclaim a sense of agency even. And then the best bit of all is that when he's killed it and he comes back and they're telling Hermione, Hermione's like, oh my God, that's incredible. And Ron's like, it really wasn't. Like, it was ugly. It wasn't courageous. Like, I I didn't look like a hero. And finally, after, like, So many years together, Harry is able to say, that's what I've been trying to tell you this whole time. Like, I'm not actually special. I'm not actually different. I'm not better than you. It's just, I've been in these situations and now you know how it feels. Like this was a moment where, just like in book one, where we see this kind of brotherhood emerge on the train so quickly, it felt like the completion of that moment. Like they are solidified in even the most intense experiences that Harry's had they've kind of found a union in that. And I was really moved. I was really moved this reading.
1: You're you're drawing us to the central moment between Ron and Harry, where they're saying, no, you kill the horcrux, no, you kill the horcrux, right? <laughs> and in my research for this episode, I was like, what is courage again? And I found some quotes that I really liked. And one is from Winston Churchill, of all people, who said that fear is a reaction and courage is a decision. Mm. And I really love that. And I think that you see Ron have a reaction of fear of saying, I can't do that. I will do it wrong and something horrible will happen. And then making the decision to be brave. And the thing that I think is so key to that is something you mentioned in your story, which is community. Mm -hmm. With Harry's support, he's able to do it. And I think that Ron if he was alone and had to do it, would find the courage to do it. I think it would take him longer and he would have to rev himself up. But I think that with Harry's support, he's able to do it quickly and just make that decision faster.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting because part of me wonders whether he would be able to do it. There's something in his analysis of himself when he says, I can't, you do it, that feels true to me, that, that he just knows that... This vision of Harry and Hermione, like these two people he loves and Hermione, especially who he's in love with, that is so hurtful to him that it kind of crushes, crushes him. And as you said, it's it's Harry's voice that gets him through. But the thing that really that I love about what Harry says that gets him through is Ron's name. For me, that felt like the thing that called Ron back to reality, back to himself, and just the, the way in which we can call each other back to who, who we are. I, I found that a really lovely, lovely moment.
1: But I would argue that when Ron knows what to do, he rises to the occasion and does it. Right. Even mm-hmm. in book one, right. He gets on the chessboard and sacrifices himself. Yes. It's when he doesn't know what to do that he becomes a jerk, right? He does not know how to break up with Lavender. And so he just sort of is like, oh, I don't. He does not know how to ask Hermione to the dance. So he is like rude and weird about it. But when he knows what has to be done, he does it. And I think that that's true for a lot of us and lack of clarity, we're we're a mess.
2: I mean- he dives into this icy pool to rescue Harry. I mean, that's, right, he's walking aimlessly around trying to find them, and then when he sees something that he's doing, he's like, okay, I can help, right? I can jump in, I can save his life, and he does. You know, one thing that does strike me is that with the blue light, he actually doesn't know. There's something that calls him, and he's curious about it, very similarly in some ways to the way that Harry follows this Patronus, who he doesn't know who's casting it. The Patronus doesn't communicate beyond, like, Come to me, <laughs> you know, like just this kind of luminescent invitation. And so they're being led to one another through these shimmering lights that parallel one another. But both of them have a lot of uncertainty. And so I'm going to give Ron some extra credit there because maybe it's desperation. Maybe it's this deep love and willingness to be humiliated, to just, he, he just wants to try. He wants to ask forgiveness. He wants to be back. But th- he's really risking something, even. Without that certainty in that case, which is kind of beautiful.
1: Yeah, the only thing I would argue is that there definitely isn't any certainty in him following this blue light. But he did hear Hermione's voice and then that turned into the blue light. That's true. Which I feel like what he has faith in there is Hermione, right? Like Hermione could never lead him anywhere bad. And that's similar to, I mean, Harry doesn't know it, right? But the doe is a form of his mother. And so he's also following this woman in his life who would never lead him anywhere bad. Yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grim Place, so you need to find a new home. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
0: This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by MeUndies. deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of MeUndies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all-black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody, And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T. That's MeUndies.com slash H-P-S-T for 20% off plus free shipping. Me undies, comfort from the outside in.
1: Okay, so let's now talk about Hermione's reaction.
2: Mm, yes.
1: So, Hermione's reaction, I also am going to argue that it takes courage because I think that women are trained to not show their rage. And like the text makes fun of her for this, right? That her her voice is so shrill, only bats could hear her. And I think that whenever women show the full level of their rage, it is really brave, right? Mm. Certainly, I think that most women are trained in suppressing their rage and are capable of holding it back. And she could choose to welcome him back with open arms and just give him a big hug and be like, you came back. And instead she's like, screw that, right? Like you are going to see all of me. You are going to see the depths of my anger. And I love her for that. I think that anger is often a helpful emotion. Mm -hmm. She becomes a little violent in this chapter, which I would say that stopping before violence is a good place to stop.
2: She doesn't send birds, as Ron acknowledges. So, you know, maybe this is already a step down.
1: (laughs) Yes, but she hasn't taken that option off the table. (laughs) But I think that anger puts it all out there, right? Mm -hmm. They have to talk about it because she's not going to pretend that everything is okay. They are going to have to really get to the bottom of what happened, what trust was broken, how he can rebuild the trust. And I, I just think that that's so important. And I think whenever you're honest about your instincts rather than w- about what culture is demanding of you, right? And that goes from like dressing not according to the sex that you were born or leaving one faith tradition to go to another or right, like any number of things. I think that when you go against the way that mainstream culture wants you to behave, that is a brave thing to do.
2: Yeah. It also, to some extent, maybe reveals something about the relationship between Ron and Hermione that's different from Ron and Harry, because I hope, uh, you know, especially at that age, that they were already seeing themselves as a couple way into the future. And so it's not just the friendship that's at risk or the mission that's at risk, but it's like a lifelong partnership that Ron threw away for Hermione. That's why that grief was maybe even deeper and why this anger is so real because it's like you don't get to do that and then just walk back in and and maybe for harry it's more of a familial or a a mission-oriented kind of partnership right the the buddy is back which is which is beautiful but for her it's like no
1: the moment that she seems most brave to me though and is most heart-wrenching is when she says i screamed after you and begged you to stay which is new information, right? We knew that she followed him, but we didn't know that she begged him to stay. And that, I think that that's really her hurt, right? Like I told you what I needed. I told you I needed you to stay and you still chose to go.
2: Yeah. One of the things that came up for me as a question in this chapter is the word courage to me is always synonymous with Gryffindor. And the way in which Gryffindors are described in this chapter is daring, nerve, and chivalry. That's what the text tells us makes a Gryffindor.
1: Which is Harry quoting the Sorting Hat.
2: Right. So it's not the word courage. And so I I wanted to ask you, what do we learn about the relationship between Gryffindors and courage, if anything, in this chapter? Because, of course, all three of them are Gryffindors, and we're seeing these different expressions of courage and and failures of courage sometimes.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's even a joke in the chapter, right? Harry is like, I don't know where chivalry is coming into this, <laughs> except that I'm not making Hermione do it. But what this really makes me think of is the fact that sorting makes us want to live up to something. This is about him seeing himself in a certain way. I am not a brave or courageous person, but when I go into cold water. The thing that I do chant to myself is I'm so brave. You do do that. I remember. <laughs> I'm like, I'm so brave. I can do it. I'm brave. And then I just do it. And so I think that sometimes we have to say externally, like I am a Gryffindor. Yes. And therefore I will live up to being a Gryffindor. And that is at the heart of like courage is a decision. Right. And I think that that's what I'm trying to to explain to myself whenever I'm going into cold water, right? it's like, I've done this before, I'll do it again. I am a brave person, now let's live up to it. Mm. It's the gift of getting older, right? You're like, oh, I've survived worse things than this before. I mean, I remember so vividly, I felt humiliated for something at middle school and I don't remember what, but I was, I, my dad picked me up from school and I said to him, I can't go back. Like it was so mortifying. It's all anybody is going to be talking about. And I can't go back. And my father said to me, you know, I remember that feeling and I don't remember the incident and I don't remember the name of the people. Like you just have to trust me that like this will pass. And like, here I am you know, 25 years later, and I don't remember the name of the people and I don't remember the incident. And I remember simultaneously when my father said that me being like, well, just must not have been as humiliating as what I went through. Right. And I believed him. Right. That I was like, "Okay, this like older person is saying I totally have had that feeling, too. And I'm telling you, it'll pass. Part of courage is learning that you survive these things.
2: You know, I'm suddenly imagining the conversation that Ron has with Bill when he stays with with Bill and Fleur and the way in which Bill maybe says, you know, I can imagine that you're you're humiliated or imagine that you're regretful that I've made similar mistakes and, and I could make it better. And that 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 story maybe helps Ron find his way back as well, or at least find the courage to try.
1: I I don't know why I've been like talking about this so much lately, but I think that just having relationships with mentors matters in this way, right? Where you can bring your vulnerability to them and they can say, I've been there Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: like borrow some of my courage.
2: Well, you can always borrow some of my courage. There's not a lot of it, but a little teaspoon now and then.
1: I do love your courage, though, because it glitters.
2: Vanessa, I'm very excited because we are returning to Pardase as our spiritual practice. And so I'm going to choose a sentence at random from the chapter and I'll read it out loud and we'll go through these four steps together. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding.
1: Between the vague pronoun of he and things, I have no idea. Is this Ron? It is. is. This is Ron when he's holding the locket and the sword after he's killed the locket?
2: It is indeed Ron. And it's the moment just after he saved Harry and he's holding the sword of Gryffindor and the locket.
1: Got it. Got it. Yeah. Ooh, he's holding death and the ability to destroy it. In Boom.
2: So good. Okay. So the shot is the intended meaning of the sentence. And as we're clarifying who is here and the things that are happening, let's go a little further to understand what's intended here. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding.
1: Yeah. I think that he is on theme surprised that he was just so brave and that it reaped such high rewards. Yeah. Right. Like he thought he was going down to save Harry He's like, oh, oh, this is really high stakes.
2: <laughs> I understand why you jumped into this icy pool in the first place. <laughs> but I wonder if there's also a way of reading this, even in the literal kind of, you know, intended meaning way of a, an understanding of like, oh, this is why I've returned, that I was needed in this moment in some way. Like, I wonder if that's
1: part of the intended meaning here. Yeah. Or just surprised that it it's so consequential the moment he came back to like, right? oh, it matters that I'm here. Talk
2: about timing,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> so
2: let's think about the next step in Pardes, which is Remes, and this is where we like to take one word from the sentence and try to stitch it together with other times that the word shows up within the canon of the seven books, and to see if when we when we see those kind of mirroring word images as they were, if if they give us any additional meaning in this particular sentence. So Vanessa, you're going to get to choose the word that we're going to track across the books. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding.
1: Okay. So the only word that I think has any like real consequences momentarily.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay.
1: So I'm thinking about things that like just happened for a moment. And I, you know, I'm rereading book one right now with our community class and I'm always just so moved by Hagrid telling everybody to lower their heads to, like, get under the bridge. And, like, that's a moment, right? Like, you only take the first year canoes to Hogwarts once. A moment is something that is completely ephemeral, right, and that you can't capture again, So, yeah, it's making me think of all those firsts, the first time he flies, which Mm. is like a, a moment that he can't get back.
2: I'm also thinking of Prisoner of Azkaban and the way in which moments are manipulated, right? The time turner, how Hermione is able to strategize and create this double story that happens at the end. And that in this case, in the absence of Hermione, there isn't that opportunity. Of course, we know the time turners have also all been destroyed. But I don't know that there's some mirroring here for me about the absence of Hermione or the way that Hermione can manipulate time.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I like that a lot. And... Also, just like the gift of things being momentary, that is exactly what Voldemort is fighting against. He wants nothing to be momentary. He wants yes. everything to be forever. And that actually, you know, the thing that makes life tragic and the thing that makes life beautiful is mortality, is the fact that all of this is momentary. And Voldemort is trying to make that profane by making it endless. Mm.
2: You know, the other connection with Voldemort that's in this word momentarily is I think the first time that actual word shows up in the Harry Potter series is when Harry is writing in Tom Riddle's diary and the words show up momentarily on the page in book two so that even this word is connected to the presence of Voldemort in this super intense way. And I just love that this gives that kind of shadow of what Voldemort is really all about, as you said, kind of stopping time, stopping death.
1: Yeah. Momentarily is sort of a beautiful idea. Whenever I become aware that something is only momentary, I pay closer attention and I get a little sad, right? Like Mm. when the kids and the dog and Peter are all snuggling on the couch, I'm like, oh, they're going to be big one day. And like snuggling won't be the same. When you are aware that something is momentary, I think that you can often be sort of called out of the moment in a beautiful way. And knowing that something is momentary can get you to, you know, endure temporary suffering of like, this is only going to hurt for a minute and then I will be vaccinated.
2: Well, this is a beautiful invitation for us to think about drash. So this is the third step in where we imagine if we were given this as the text to preach on or to draw a message out of, what would that message be? And I think mine would be very, very much what you were just saying, Vanessa, which is that this too shall pass, right? This moment, whether it's happiness or, or sadness, whether it's suffering or joy, it will pass. And that is a blessing and a curse. The moments of true beauty and connection and intimacy and love, our bodies will become frail. We will die. We will forget. All of all of that will be lost. And also the greatest horrors will pass. Let me read it one more time just before you share as well, Vanessa. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding.
1: Yeah, I think I would preach on the gifts that we don't know that we have. hmm right? Like he looks down and he's like, oh my gosh, I have an abundance of gifts in my life. Mm. And I don't mean like good luck, gratitude, health gifts. I mean like the things that we have to offer the world, the unique things that we actually have to bring to the world that I just like really believe with all of my heart, every single person has, and that we all have moments of despair where we're like, I have nothing. Mm. (laughs) And sometimes we just have to Look down at our hands and be like, oh, I still have things I can do. Not that we shouldn't rest. Right. But yeah, just that we always have gifts.
2: The final step in pardes is sowed. And we always like to say this is maybe our most mystical practice in the sense that we don't try and find the sowed, right? It's not about analysis or or insight. But sometimes a sode just arrives. And so it's maybe like something that momentarily perches on our shoulder, which whispers in our ear. And so I'll read it once more and hopefully a sode will arrive. Or as Stephanie Pulse always likes to say, a so." <laughs> half a sode. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding. He seemed momentarily surprised to see the things he was holding.
1: I feel like that's what happens to Dudley after the Dementor attack that he's like, Oh my God, I have so many privileges and gifts in the world. And it's like what gets him started on his road to kindness. Mm. And I i think that moments where we look down and we, re, we realize how much we have are often deeply transformative moments
2: mm. The thing that strikes me so much is the way in which Ron's visual senses is catching up with what his body has done. I don't know. I'm really interested in in understanding more about what our bodies know. It feels like there's a growing interest in understanding how our body holds memories, can hold trauma, but also has instincts and insight to which our rational brain perhaps is, is slow to catch up on. Um, and it feels like this is one of those moments and that Ron is not necessarily known for his quick wits, but maybe can be trusted with his quick body, that that sense of instinct and corporeal awareness and goodness, that there's something about his embodiment in this moment that really strikes me. I love that sometimes we know things that we can't explain or that we can only understand later. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Oh, I love doing these with you. you. It's so you. nice.
1: Redfin, it's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and
1: responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our voicemail this week is from Odelia.
3: Hi, Arianna, Casper, and Vanessa. It's Odelia calling from Jerusalem, Israel. I'm so excited to finally send you a voicemail. We are now in the Hebrew month of Elul, the month before uh, the high holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And the Hasidim say about this month that the king is in the field, as a metaphor of God being almost in our backyard, very reachable in this month. I was thinking about Dumbledore um, as an almost godlike role in Book Seven, he is behind so many things, so much of the plot and the twists and turns of, of what goes on. And Harry is so frustrated with him. He's looking for him everywhere, um, and he's frustrated at, at, at his guidance, and he's not understanding what, what Dumbledore wants of him. We say a prayer every morning in this month um, Please don't hide your face away from me talking to God, and I was thinking about Aberforth's eye and all these other physical appearances of Dumbledore that are studded elegantly in so many places in the book. This made me think of book seven is almost a book of Harry's struggle for faith. If we think of God uh, of Dumbledore as, as, as almost a godlike figure, not saying that he's perfect, but mostly about his absence from this book. And um, when they finally meet in King's Cross, um, which I saw as a metaphor for Yom Kippur, where we meet God and ask for his forgiveness, their roles actually switch. And Dumbledore asks for Harry's forgiveness. So I was wondering what you're thinking about um, all the things that I said. I uh, hope you have a really good day. I love your podcast, and I've been listening to it as I build a mud house in a deserted field in Jerusalem.
1: Odelia. I love the invitations that you are offering us. And I love the idea of a prayer that is saying, please don't turn your face from us. I think that that's a prayer that we can ask of everyone we love. Don't turn away from me. Turn toward me. And I will say Yom Kippur is my favorite day of the year. There is something about it that, you know, for even this atheist, make the possibility of God seem close. Mm. I think I'll miss a lot of that this year because to me, so much of that is about turning to a community of strangers and saying, please forgive me and I forgive you. So, so much of that is about that community experience for me.
2: Stephanie Pulsel reminded me recently of the 13th century Beguine, Marguerite Parade, and her language of absence and presence for the divine as well. She she said, God is like a faraway love, so far outside and so close within. And I, ju- I just love that complexity of distance and presence exactly like the eye of Aberforth. Or for, for Ron, like the Deluminator, hearing Hermione's voice so close and knowing she's so far away. Just that kind of string between us and between whatever it is that's bigger than us that, that is so present and so absent at the same time.
1: And a hug Sameach. Happy New Year
2: for all our Jewish listeners. Yes. It's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this book. And I really wanted to bless Ron for all the reasons today. The thing I really want to bless him for is taking the time away from Harry and Hermione to really fiercely take an inventory of himself, to use that language, from recovery communities in which you see the fullness of your own failures, not to beat himself up, not to make himself feel bad, but because in seeing himself clearly, he also sees the gifts that he has to give or the capacities that he has in which in this case is about returning, returning to the mission, but more importantly, returning to to Harry and to Hermione. And I hope that all of us can take a moment to see our shortcomings. And because we're closely looking at them, we also see the gifts we have to give. How about you, Vanessa?
1: I want to bless Hermione. You know, as I said, the the line that really got me in this chapter was when she said, I begged you to stay. And I don't want to bless her for saying that to him. I want to bless her for, in the previous chapter, begging him to stay. I think that that could be seen as something that's demeaning or, you know, any number of negative things. But I think telling people what you need and saying, right, like, I need you to stay, you matter I think is is really courageous and vulnerable and knowing that she did that and he left anyway, I think makes her behavior over the last, you know, month that they've been apart, even the more remarkable that she has stayed strong and stayed on mission and only cried for a week. But I just I think that there's something sort of lovely in certain circumstances, not all circumstances of begging someone to stay.
2: You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find listeners who are discussing this episode and others in the Facebook Common Room. Join our local groups and come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. You can watch a movie with Vanessa, which, you know, I like to do in my spare time, too. We always love reading your reviews on iTunes and hearing your voicemails, so please keep sending them in.
1: Next week, we'll be reading Chapter 20, Xenophilius Lovegood, through the theme of reality. This episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is the Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisao and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by ACAST. We'd like to thank Odelia for this week's voicemail, Julia Argi, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and Stephanie Paulsell, And chug schmug, everyone. Chug schmug! Or, as Casper likes to say, chug schmug, because several <laughs> years ago, like a million years ago, I saw him <laughs> as I was running the Rosh Hashanah <laughs> services, and he said, what am I supposed to say? Chug schmug? And I was a jerk.
2: Hugs <laughs> Sameach was hard And I was a jerk and said,
1: yep, it's chug schmug. <laughs> <laughs>